Welcome to the podcast where we talk to chief executive officers, communications leaders, and marketing leaders. I'm your host, Evan Makovsky, and thrilled to be joined by Michael Reed, who is the executive vice president and global head of corporate communications at Pacific Investment Management Company, otherwise known as PIMCO. He's been with PIMCO for over a decade. Michael, before we get into your duties, can you describe what PIMCO does? Sure, and, and thanks for having me, Evan. Uh, PIMCO is a global asset manager. It's um, one of the world's premier investment managers uh, with a particular focus on fixed income. This is actually our 50th anniversary, founded in 1971 in Newport Beach, and Newport Beach remains the headquarters of the company, but we have about 20 offices um, around the world, about 3,000 staff. We manage about two point around about $2.2 trillion of um, client assets across a a wide range of strategies, both in terms of mutual funds um, and on the private side and and private strategies. And um, and, uh, there's sort of a, you know, the world's constantly changing, the markets are constantly moving, and there are different opportunities. So what we try and do is offer our investors and our clients uh, a wide range of investment solutions in whatever vehicle uh, that in that suits them and that um, and that sort of meets their investment needs. That's that's the sort of the very high level view of the of the firm. Well, that's appreciated. What about your day to day duties, Michael, for Pimco? How would you describe what your responsibilities entail? So I, I oversee corporate communications at Pimco. And I think people who follow PIMCO realize that it has a significant media profile. I think that's been a, a legacy of the firm of uh, particularly offering a lot of thought leadership and insights on markets, investment strategies. I think a lot of clients, it's, you know, it's a very large, complex global market. And I think clients and investors are always looking for some sort of insight and guidance on how to interpret what is going on, what the impact is on their investments. And that is a key part of what we do. But also, I think, and perhaps most strikingly over the last year, there's been a significantly increased requirement for internal communications around COVID, which has been actually, you know, in the the 10 years I've been doing this job, has been one of the more challenging aspects simply because it's been such an unusual communications challenge in that, you know, usually when you want to talk to your employees about an issue, it tends to be reasonably universal or homogenous. But in this case, the, the you know, COVID impacted different parts of the world at different, at such different rates and in varying stages that it was such a fragment, needed such a fragmented approach to internal comms and that in itself was a challenge. And then right at the beginning of it in March, April last year, you layer on the, you know, the, the sort of the seismic move in markets, which was maybe a once-in-a-lifetime event. So you had the internal and external communications challenges coming together at the same time. So it has been quite the year, um, let me just say that. I was going to ask you, but I'll ask you anyway. You've, met, you've alluded to a couple uh, items, but how did your job, Michael, change during the pandemic? Can you give a couple more examples? Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of it was really more the focus internally where you had this, such an unusual event where you needed to communicate with staff about what was going on 
in terms of their day-to-day lives in a real vacuum of information, given that nobody really knew much about COVID or, um, or you know, the data was not really conclusive at that point. And then you layer on top of that the fact that they were also performing jobs in a highly volatile market, um, you know, needing to continue to to, um, to trade and manage assets and service clients. So I think it was just a multi-pronged communications challenge. Um, the likes of which I can't remember, actually. I mean, we've had, you know, we, we have had, like any firm, you know, communications challenges over the years but of varying forms. But um, this was this was really quite unique. And and it was, um, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so I think what you needed to do is just establish some very clear ground rules of what you want to achieve, what needs to be communicated, what doesn't. You don't want to over-communicate, but you also want to inform people and then manage externally what I think was a pretty challenging period uh, for the media as, as well. And actually, you know, my sympathy was for journalists who themselves were sort of thrust into a, a, a pretty unusual situation where they were covering a lot of areas that they weren't used to covering. I think there was a lot of reporters being moved around. So it was actually difficult for them as well. And so there were opportunities for us to sort of provide them some insight into what we thought was going on in the markets, um, which, which, you know, which, which many of them were appreciative of. Almost all companies were affected by the work from home transition. How was PIMCO's operations and your operations affected by not going into the office? Well, I think like everybody, it was sort of a, um, I think, you know, I, 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 PIMCO has always been extremely well prepared given that it's such, you know, because it's the, the role that plays in markets that has very robust business continuity plans practice drills, guidelines, committees, um, um, business continuity sites. So I think that they, you know, we responded very, very well. And in particular, I mean, I think the trade floor, you know, talk about a lot of our employees did work remotely, but the trade floor for the most part didn't really leave. We, We just sort of split them over three sites in Newport Beach and we have trade floors around the world. And as I said, they're in various stages of COVID lockdown or not lockdown. So that was reasonably, um, you know, that was very efficient. And I think the technology and the operations people at PIMCO are just exceptional in this regard. And then, and then for those people that were working remotely, obviously, again, technology was important and client engagement was important. And I think that continued. But I do think that we, we sort of are a firm which operates better in an office environment, predominantly, and um, just has a seamlessness and a continuity and an employee development and mentoring. Uh, and so I think that the, the, you know, the sooner we get back to that safely and, and cautiously, um, I think that um, I think everyone will be everyone will be happier. Have folks returned to the office? Yes, we with this we have so many offices around the world, and and they're they're in such a various stages of of COVID impact that it's hard to sort of be uniform about it. But there's definitely, as I said, some people were in the office throughout or in offices or sites throughout. I think that we are sort of in the major offices. We are sort of moving into phase one and two, you know, uh, 
right now or soon. And I think for the for the for the uh, for those offices, you could probably expect, um, you know, a, a sort of return to normalcy as the year goes on and um, and into twenty twenty two. Michael Reed, Global Head of Corporate Communications with me. I'm Evan Makovsky. Prior to PIMCO, you were the editor of uh, global news coverage at Dow Jones Wall Street Journal for 11 years. What were your duties there? Yeah, I actually held a lot of roles at Dow Jones, and I started in Europe as a European, as a UK and then European news editor. Well, I started as a reporter. And I covered the pharmaceutical industry at a particularly exciting time for that industry when there was a lot of consolidation. A lot of the firms, I mean, Pfizer is a good example, actually. I covered Pfizer um, as a journalist before it was really Pfizer as we know it. I covered AstraZeneca um, when it was Zeneca and not AstraZeneca. (laughs) But during the 90s, it, it went through this huge phase of consolidation where all these companies, pharmaceutical companies, merged. So it was a fascinating time to be a journalist. And, and, and I covered biotech as well, moved to the U.S. in 2004 as a, as a editor overseeing um, enterprise and features and columns for Dow Jones and then sort of and then was deputy managing editor of North American Equities and then up to global news editor for the Wall Street Journal Dow Jones. When, when Rupert Murdoch bought the newspaper in 2008, he sort of – more officially consolidated what had always been a a close relationship anyway between Newswires and the Journal, this newsroom on on Sixth Avenue in New York, which was like a wonderful newsroom to work in. So that that was that was my last role, and uh, that was a like a fascinating role. The Wall Street Journal newsroom is a incredibly remarkable and impressive place, and it was a real privilege to work there and to just be some amazing journalists and editors and I think that they still to me are you know one of the gold standards for news publications in the world while uh, you had, I would say that as an alum I'm a bit biased but, but that's for sure while you had a lofty position with Dow Jones why did you get out of media uh, as somebody who worked in media for a long time could it have been the money <laughs> well, for a start, it wasn't, it, it wasn't quite as lofty as it sounded, actually. It, it, it is a sort of a lofty title, but it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite, uh, I think the day to day did maybe it didn't quite match the, um, the, the, the title. I just, you know, I, I worked, my mentor and editor was a woman called Gabriella Stern, who's a wonderful journalist, a, a long standing Wall Street Journal editor, who also, I think, uh, uh, you know, left journalism recently or in the last few years. Um, no, I just think I'd been doing it for 20 years and I'd done it in New Zealand where I was born. I'd done it in the UK for a few years, for seven or eight years. I'd done it in the US. And it was interesting and fascinating, but I just sort of felt that um, so it's an exhausting job, actually, journalism. And it's, if anything, it's just got tougher. And so I just sort of wanted to do something else. And, and, and a former a friend and colleague and mentor of mine was at PIMCO and he said, you know, you have with your news experience, then media relations would be a good fit. Um, and so I made the jump and, and, um, and I, it was, you know, it was a great decision. It's, I was very, very lucky to land at, a, at you know, a, such an, an impressive company. And it's just been a, a fantastic um, career move and opportunity for me. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. You look back in your career, you can always think, 
I took this turn or that turn, it could have ended differently, but um, I'm very lucky. How uh, did your 11 plus years at Dow Jones, which you mentioned uh, the early part was working in the UK, prepare you for your job at PIMCO? Because it is a uh, common transition that people uh, become CCOs, global heads of corporate communications, but with a media background, a lot of times they go into public relations. How did it prepare you for your job at PIMCO? Yeah, it's interesting. There's there's two different types of there, there do there tend to be two different type two different career paths in media relations, corporate communications. Those who came from a journalistic background, and those who maybe came up more through a more structured agency, um, you know, PR agency background. Um, and I think they bring very different skills, which are extremely useful. So for me. Um, Myself and my deputy, Agnes Crane, here at PIMCO, she was also a journalist, also at Dow Jones and Reuters. And I think what we, I think that the, the benefit we had is having worked in the newsroom day to day for 20 years is you, you, you really get to understand news cycles, what drives news, what's, how to tell a story, you know, why some storytelling works, why some doesn't, how a news story gains traction, why it doesn't. And so I think that assessment and judgment is really, really helpful. There are some things which are not helpful, and that is that newsrooms tend to be, because of their nature, very unstructured places where your job is very minute to minute, especially in a, in a, in a newsroom like Dow Jones, where 15 minutes is an eternity. And I think so you come to a corporate environment, you, you bring those skills of news judgment, but then I see people who come from a PR agency background and they bring a lot of structure and strategy and planning that, you know, you, you're just never going to be trained to do in a newsroom. And, you know, I mean, when I moved to PIMCO, I'd never even, I'd never done a, prepared a PowerPoint presentation. I wouldn't, you know, I would never have, you just don't do that stuff in a newsroom. So, um, but I think both, and if you, if you take that combination of a journalistic experience in a newsroom and you combine it with that PR structure, I think you end up or usually in a really good place if you have a little bit of everything on your team. I think you end up in, 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 a, in a really strong place. I think PR agency folks are very good at preparing and, and, and planning and playbooks. And I think news people are very good at a sort of at a very fast-moving, fluid environment, being able to sort of you know, change direction on a dime and understand where something's heading. And I think all of those skills, I think, are, are useful in any corporate communications function. Michael, um, crisis communications is part of the communications job, and this is as of March. We're in May now. Um, PIMCO uh, categorically denied as they've been accused by uh, five current and former employees of discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. Uh, PIMCO answered those claims publicly. You answered those claims publicly in March. What is your position on these uh, discrimination lawsuits? Sure. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a big believer in that the, you know, legal matters are, are best dealt with lawyers and attorneys in a legal jurisdiction. Um, and that I, and, you know, I think that is, as has, has been our approach. Um, I, my, I think that anyone in corporate communications working for any firm in any field, you know, whether it's 
you know, even from sports to to celebrity to politics to financial services to consumer goods, I just think it's important for anyone in those roles to prepare for a range of scenarios because every company has a range of scenarios. Um, and I think that as long as you work collaboratively and you, you, you know, establish the facts, then you, um, then you can manage and, and deal with any communications challenge. On a lighter note, you mentioned you grew up in New Zealand and you worked for the New Zealand Herald as a crime reporter. Um, how has that yeah. served you? And maybe you can tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I, I sort of fell into it. It was a bit of a, a mistake. I actually trained as a journalist. Well, I, I had a degree in psychology and I went to journalism school. I trained as a sports reporter, actually trained in radio as a sports broadcaster. And um, But the, when I left, there weren't any jobs in sports broadcasting. So I ended up as a journalist at a small paper and then gra- you know moved on to the New Zealand Herald where I was a crime reporter. And some people have sort of joked to me over the years that you wouldn't think there'd be much crime in New Zealand to report on. But it was actually, it was more than crime. It was, I you know, covered all sorts of things from earthquakes and volcanoes to um, shootings to court, you know, famous court cases and uh, well, famous New Zealand, not famous outside New Zealand. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating job. Uh, I mean, it's it, it got a, it can be a bit grim at times. I mean, I, 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 you know, I had a lot of, I covered a lot of stories which were quite sad and, and interviewing people who had suffered a lot of loss, um, which is very humbling. And um, But it's an incredibly exhilarating job. My, a friend of mine, my best friend, at journalism school, he went into sports reporting and he got a job and he ended up going to three Olympics. So halfway through my career, I was like, yeah, I think I chose the wrong route. But, um, and, and I always joked from the sports reporting is the easiest job in the world because when you interview somebody after the game, they usually say, yeah, it was a tough game. We'll credit the other team. They played really well and, you know, not focused on the end. We'll take one game at a time. I was like, every interview is exactly the same. So I think he got the easy card. Um, but it was a fantastic career. And, but I just, again, after six years of doing that, I decided I wanted to do something else. So I, I sort of went to England to travel around a bit and then ended up in a journalism job there. So you tried to get a job as a sports reporter and were unable to find one? Is that what happened? Well, no, I, I, I think I, if, if I remember rightly, I, I worked for a radio station as a news as a sports news broadcaster, sort of as an intern. But the jobs I wanted were not in the places I wanted to be. I, I lived in, a, in, in Auckland, and I would have to move at, you know, to, to get these roles. And I didn't really want to do that. And so I was quite happy where I was. So I just sort of, I just sort of took another role as, as, a, as, a, as a journalist. And then that somehow, I can't even remember how, morphed into being a crime reporter. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty unusual mix when I look back on the career I've had. It's, it's jumped around a bit, but it's, every role has been fascinating. So, um, you know, even when I moved into England, when I went to the UK, I never intended to be a business journalist. I, I was just a, sort of a general news. I was a columnist for a small newspaper in, 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 South, in southern England. Um, and then I got an opportunity to work for Dow Jones. And I mean, I didn't really know much about business journalism. But again, a guy I'd gone, a guy I'd gone to journalism school with in New Zealand said, you know, it's really interesting. You should come and try it. And I did it and I loved it. And, and sort of, you know, opportunities 
sort of open doors opened in front of me, so I kept walking through them. So what kind of a decision was that um, to uproot yourself from your, your native country? Well, so there's a bit of a tradition in New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa of young people going to, going to the UK for two years. It's called the OE, Overseas Experience, sort of the equivalent of a gap year in the US. But the, in the, there's actually, they t- you have to do it before you're 27. Well, that, that, I don't know if that's still the rule. It used to be the rule. You had to do it before you're 27, and the British would give you a visa, and you would, and you would go and sort of travel around Europe for two years, and then you'd go back to New Zealand. So it was never in my intention to stay. I was always going to, you know, travel around Europe and, and then, um, and then go back. And I just sort of didn't. Um, and and again, I think when when my wife and I moved to the U.S. in 2004, it was our intention maybe to go for a few years. But then, you know, we just didn't. It just sort of, things just, we liked it and and our daughters were born here and, um, you know, we had good jobs and we enjoyed life and so we just stayed. So it's not like I planned any of this out. I just sort of, you know, if there was an opportunity, I took it and uh, and it's fortunately, it's um, worked out well. And I, like I said, I'm sort of humbled by that, but I, I, I feel very lucky. You mentioned PIMCO has 20 offices worldwide as global head, and you're based out of New York, the headquarters in Newport Beach, California. How do you interface with these 20 offices around the world? And you speak publicly, obviously, for all of them. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm actually based in New York, but I do travel to Newport a lot. Um, I think So I have a team of six people around, around the world. Um, and then we use a lot of PR agencies, particularly in Europe and Asia, where I think there's a lot of very country-specific media challenges and language challenges. And um, so what, we, what I do is sort of outline the strategy, and our strategy is pretty simple. Um, I think people want to know what PIMCO thinks about markets and investment strategies, and we, we you know, try and provide that. And, um, and so we set the strategy, and then we, I have a fantastic team very talented people and, and we just sort of manage uh, each situation as they arise. And we do, I think we do what any good corporate communications function does and looks ahead and tries to assess, you know, what are the opportunities, what are the risks and you prepare and, and uh, you, you know, you, you messaging is important and collaboration is important with the different functions around the firm and you just work your way through them. And then you, you know, you try and anticipate the changing media landscape, and which is which is actually changing a lot. And and then you sort of, you, you know, you see the opportunities and you um, and you take them. Michael Reed, global head of corporate communications for Pimco, I appreciate your time very much. Thanks, Evan. Thanks. It was great to join you.